You're listening to Coca Radio Converse Internet Radio for the students, by the students. to the second episode of She Blinded Me with Science. Uh, we are your hosts, Michaela. And Gretchen. Now, uh, for our current events, current events, excuse me, uh, topic today, we're going to be talking about something that, if you're if you're a female, it, it, it pretty much affects you in a big way. And of course, I am talking about birth control. Mm-hmm. Uh, birth control is something that I'm sure a lot of women, at least that I know, take for uh, varying, varying uh, reasons. And of course, you'll get into those reasons in this discussion, but also a lot of uh, legislation has come about with our new administration concerning birth control and how easy access to getting birth control can be. So uh, to kind of hammer in the point home that a lot of women are on birth control because I feel like um, not a lot of people, not a lot of people know exactly like to the extent how much, Mm -hmm. how much women are on birth control because how Mm -hmm. much it affects um, us, the female body. Etc. So, of course, according to the National Health Statistics report uh, from 2006 to 2010, 62% of the women that they tested used contraception, just like contraceptives in general, uh, was 28% or 10.6 million uh, using the pill. Of course, they tested for different methods of contraception, mm-hmm. which we'll we'll all get into later. Just just a whole education mm-hmm. hour on this, which Yay, I yeah. think is a subject that people, women and men alike, because I know a lot of people are like, well, men don't know that much about birth control, but sometimes women don't know that much about birth yeah. control, which is, mm-hmm. which is, which is, um, can be quite, quite surprising, but also quite, quite detrimental because I feel like, you know, you should know more about how mm-hmm. to upkeep your health oh, yeah, and definitely. such. All right, so exactly how does birth control prevent pregnancy? Now, as I mentioned before, are many reasons, but one of the main reasons, it is called birth control, so preventing unwanted pregnancy, mm-hmm. which is a good thing that we yes. all want to do. Mm-hmm. So basically, birth control, uh, take your pick, whatever pill you uh, take, uh, contains man-made versions of hormones, estrogen, and prostogen. Uh, Some only have prostogen because sometimes estrogen can have weird side effects. So some people Mm -hmm. just take uh, birth control that just have prostogen than just prostogen and estrogen. And of course, these are hormones that are naturally made in the ovaries. Mm -hmm. Now, both both hormones prevent a woman's ovaries from releasing an egg during her menstrual cycle or ovulation. So anytime, you know, you have your menses. Yes. (laughs) As, you know, my grandma liked to put it, you know, it prevents you from releasing like your egg and such mm-hmm. anyways um they do this by changing the levels of the natural hormones that the body makes uh so prostogen also makes uh in addition to doing that prostogen also makes the mucus around a woman's cervix uh thick and sticky so it prevents sperm from getting up in there and fertilizing the eggs and such so that's mm-hmm. like the basic um the basic mechanism how birth control prevents mm-hmm. pregnancy now what does birth control also uh, treat as well. Um, it treats acne, so it helps kind of balance out the hormones because a lot of people have 
-hmm. really harsh acne, and that could be due to a hormone imbalance, um, mm -hmm. iron deficiency anemia due to heavy menstruation. I know that was particularly the reason I started using birth mm -hmm. control because if you have all the nutrients and stuff going yeah. on in your body, like you need mm -hmm. you need iron and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't I haven't heard of that, but that's awesome. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, because due yeah. to like uh, menstruation and stuff, a lot mm -hmm. of women have like certain variations mm -hmm. of iron deficiency anemia, mm -hmm. but just depending on like how severe it can be and it can be quite severe like there mm -hmm. could be necessary for like blood transfusion if your iron levels yeah. get too low so that's a good thing to not mm -hmm. have happen yeah um also polycystic ovary syndrome um also referred to as like pcos endometriosis that's another one that's popular or a lot of women that i know take birth control to treat endometriosis um, and then just normal like menstrual cramps, of course, that we get because, you know, all the stuff that's going on mm -hmm. down there. Um, it also treats um, kind of to combat like, you know, helping with heavy menstruation. It also helps with the lack of menstruation mm -hmm. um, or an, an amenorrhea, excuse me, amenorrhea um, mm -hmm. or having a lack of periods because, because obviously that can be an issue as well. Usually mm -hmm. women that are like barely um, thin. Mm -hmm. Um, depending on like um, their height, what have you, mm -hmm. um, often experience a lack of periods. Um, and then other premenstrual symptoms and then any ovarian insufficiency. So basically it just regulates your period and makes sure you have it at this particular time, mm -hmm. um, not too heavy mm -hmm. or not too light um, and other health issues, which I think a lot of people overlook these health issues and just think that women just take birth control to not get pregnant which it's not mind you a not bad reason like no, it's I not mean, it's the what's what it says in the, yeah the i mean yeah, yeah. well because a lot of people obviously yeah. there is some stigma to be like oh well you want to take this because like you're promiscuous or something like that which is yeah mind your own business yes, first of all yes but <laughs> but also uh of course it combats a lot of like um religious institutions mm -hmm. and stuff like that yeah. but obviously women have made it known that hey i need to take this or else other measures have to be taken like mm -hmm. i said you know with iron deficiency anemia if your iron levels get too low you're gonna need a blood transfusion mm -hmm. um endometriosis which is another significant um disease that affects mm -hmm. women so just just to be in the know that there are many uses for birth control than to just prevent pregnancy. But if you just take it just for that use, then that that is a-okay, because that's what it's meant to do. Yeah, acne is just a plus. Uh. Acne is just a plus, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure, obviously, like, with acne, because I feel like mm -hmm. people are like, oh, when I was, like, 16, I had acne, but, of course, it varies with, like, different people that yeah. have, like, heavy mm -hmm. cystic acne and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So yeah. that's also an issue. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like people are just like, but that's just, like, a cosmetic reason. I'm like, well, it's... Some people really need it. Yeah, yeah, some people do really need it. Just because, like, it, like for medical reasons, not aesthetic reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, so, obviously, with birth control, with any medicine you take, there's mm -hmm. going to be side effects, of course. Um, so, of course, when you start your cycle and such, and you start taking this medication, um, in order to regulate your period, there's going to be some, there's going to be some irregularities to mm -hmm. regulate, so you may experience... Mm -hmm you know, spotting at certain period, uh, time periods. <laughs> I feel like I need to be mindful of my use of the word period um, in reference mm -hmm. to this conversation. But of course, like, if you're supposed to have your period, like, the next week, but you mm -hmm. start spotting, like, a week before, like, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff can happen because your body's still trying to, like, regulate out uh, your cycles and such. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have nausea, uh, certain weight changes that can also um, occur with taking birth control. 
headaches, uh, mood changes, sore or enlarged breasts, and also breakouts, which I know is kind of interesting because, like, yeah. it treats acne. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? But, of course, um, this is all because since you are taking man-made hormones your body has to regulate itself Mm -hmm. to the hormones so right away your body's not going to be like all right cool Mm -hmm. like everything is chill it's going to take a while for it's going to freak out for a second it's going to it's going to balance out hopefully yeah it's going to calm down a little bit but usually all of these side side effects go away like after the first four Mm -hmm. cycles so your body is Mm -hmm. getting into the rhythm it's like all right we're cool now now as i mentioned before it's not it's not just the pill nowadays Mm -hmm. and i'm sure and we'll mentioned later with certain uh, legislative uh, decisions that have been made, people are considering, or a lot of women that I know are considering other forms of contraception. Mm-hmm. Contraception. Uh, there are weekly patches that you can put on that help um, serve as birth control, prevent pregnancy. Uh, cervical caps mm-hmm. and other more kind of like, they kind of more get in there as far yeah, as like yeah. just taking uh, a pill. And, of course, uh, there are shots that you can have every uh, three months as well. Um, vaginal rings or sponges. Um, a diaphragm, which is something that I haven't really heard before. It's like mm-hmm. a rubber silicone disc that basically covers the cervix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really interesting that, I mean, obviously, like, we all know, like, familiar with birth control. It's just mm-hmm. like being birth control, like the pill, mm-hmm. but there are so many other ways of contraception. Yeah. One that has been talked about, at least amongst, like, my friend group and women that I know are IUDs, Mm -hmm. um, which are basically these T-shaped kind of looking little mechanisms. Mm -hmm. They're usually, like, um, they're, like, copper Mm -hmm. and such, and they just kind of stick it up there. But Mm -hmm. it lasts up to 12 years. So Mm -hmm. it's quite, it's, it's quite a um, lasting way to prevent birth, Mm -hmm. prevent pregnancy, I should say. Um, So considering... um, like obviously with birth control and other means of birth control referring to the pill and other means of birth control such as like pastures and shots of course it's going to be a more routine thing like you're going to have to show up and get your shots every three months or get your patch every week mm-hmm. or take your pill every day and with this you just have it they just you know yeah. put it up there and then you're good for you know 12 years or so mm-hmm. and i'm sure that's something that obviously like the time frame in which you use it is also kind of you have to take into consideration mm-hmm. like you know like within like the next six years like I maybe want to have a child like mm-hmm. you may want to think about mm-hmm. certain elements such as that when you go for more kind of long lasting mm-hmm. methods but I encourage women to talk to their doctors and be like hmm, what works for me as far mm-hmm. as like contraception goes yeah. and stuff and I'm pretty sure for IUDs as well, it works better for women that already, um, like, have had sex before. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, like, just, it's just easier to kind of put it in there. So those are the things that you can talk to your doctor about and be like, hey, I was thinking getting this. And I can either be like, well, that might be a good decision or not so good decision. So mm-hmm. whatever works for mm-hmm. you, but there's more than one way to mm-hmm. prevent pregnancy, of course. So obviously, uh, since, especially with birth control methods, like, obviously these things are not all free. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't oh, just yeah. walk up and be like, hey. Yeah, that's not how helpful. Can we just guys uh, get a here. free ID real quick? <laughs> um, and obviously, there are particular um, places in which they're more helpful as far as, like, costs. Like, Planned Parenthood, something that we should not be defunding, as a side note. But anyways, um, so the cost of birth control, and this is from, like, a plethora of um, kind of sites consensus that I kind of came with mm-hmm. this kind of range. So it's about 15 to 50 dollars per month and that equates to about 116 to 600 dollars a year um Mm -hmm. which is not 
She's not uh, cheap, particularly. No. Um, <laughs> of course, with certain, like, um, there's insurance plans and stuff like that that can cut down the cost um, to an extent. I know with mine, it, like, cuts it down to, like, $25. Hmm. Um, but comparatively to other medicines, it might not be as much. I don't know. I just recall, I think it was, I had um, a sinus infection. Mm-hmm. I went to go get a prescription for amoxicillin. Mm-hmm. Something that, of course, I would not take every day because I don't have a sinus infection every yeah. day. Mm-hmm. But that cost, um, not by a lot, but like a couple dollars less than like birth control, which is something I take routinely every day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just yeah. just a different, uh, an interesting yeah. dichotomy that I just noticed. I was like, hmm, that's that's interesting. Yeah. And obviously, I mentioned uh, earlier that there has been a lot of legislations has been, if you keep in track of our new administration, have uh, made some decisions. Um, concerning uh, how easily available birth control is to women. Now the Trump administration, um, it was actually an executive order that was kind of brought to, and this also encompasses um, what I like to refer to as the right to discriminate, basically like businesses being able to like turn away people Mm -hmm. of like people that are homosexual and stuff Mm -hmm. like that from their businesses. But this was also encompassed in there. So basically... Mm -hmm saying that employers um, had the right to deny women insurance uh, for coverage for contraception. Mm. Um, Any contraception? Yeah, just just contraception, any contraception, you know, the pill, the patch, the shot, what have you. And of course, uh, people, it's connected to saying like, well, it's religious reasons, people making me going against my religion, people that don't believe in contraception. Mm -hmm. And it's fine if you don't particularly Mm -hmm believe in contraception or think that stuff mm-hmm. is for you but obviously it depends mm-hmm. on other women's health if you yes. deny them coverage as far as like that and goes. also this is a business not a person mm-hmm. luckily for us we do have states that are pushing back from uh this legislative decision there are actually states such as pennsylvania and california and washington that are suing mm-hmm. the trump administration based mm-hmm. uh over this over this issue mm-hmm. um and then Massachusetts, the massachusetts senate uh this was from a couple weeks ago, but actually, um, as of like, as of this week right now, um, Massachusetts is the first state to have birth control, like mm-hmm. be free for women. Oh, wow. So like offering like free women, uh, free birth control for women. Basically that started with a bill that supporters like that the bill basically said that it will protect birth control coverage for women. Um, so that was kind of the first step. And then that bill was passed and then basically, um, that bill included um, a provision requiring health insurers to continue offering coverage uh, without co-payments. So I don't know if as far as like insurance, like obviously like your insurance covers part of it and then there's mm-hmm. a copay that you pay out of pocket. But of course, if there's no copay for you, mm-hmm. your insurance covers it all yeah. um, for prescription contraceptive, regardless of the changes in basically any federal law policy or any repeal of the Affordable Care Act. and. As you know, in the House and the Senate, they're going back and forth on trying to mm-hmm. repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. So mm-hmm. regardless of whether that happens in the state, uh, regardless of that, that women will, that health insurers will continue to offer coverage uh, mm-hmm. for birth control for women without copay, which I think yeah. is, which That's is, good. it's pretty awesome. Because to mm-hmm. me, it's like, I feel like people need to view birth control more as, I mean, because it is a necessity for mm-hmm. women. Yeah. It's a necessity for health. Mm-hmm as well um just mm-hmm. like i said before like you know if you don't take it like and you have certain like iron deficiency anemia and endometriosis there are major health consequences that could mm-hmm. result from that i know a lot of people are um people who say per se don't dis who disagree with birth control or like 
people are just like, just wait until you're married to have sex, and then every time you have sex, have a baby. If that, <laughs> if that's your, you know, if that's you know your mantra and how you see it, that's particularly fine. But of course, it becomes an issue when you intervene in others' lives, of course. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, yeah, people are saying like, I don't want my taxpayer money going towards this, which of course is the same argument for abortion. But that I don't know. That's also the catch twenty two. This whole situation is that a lot of people. Who, people who are backing this bill to basically give employers the right to deny insurance to women for birth control or contraception contraception are also pretty uh, pro-life. Yeah. But the thing is, well, if women are have more easy access, access to contraception, mm-hmm. then they're not going to get as easily, um, like, unwanted pregnancies are not yes. going to be that much of a thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, abortions won't be... Mm-hmm. as prevalent or as necessary mm-hmm. and i think there's this weird thing that people think that people are just having abortions left and right which is not yeah, particularly they really, no. they're not really so i feel like it's just kind of like a weird scope that people are seeing this through but yeah mm-hmm. i thought that was very contradictory that like okay yeah. mm-hmm. we don't want abortion out which is you know regardless of whether your position on that of course um but mm-hmm. yeah but if they're against abortion they should be for contraception mm-hmm. that makes the most sense in my mind. I mean, that made most sense to me, yes. of course. But anyways, mm-hmm. I encourage everybody to stay updated on the sort of, like, legislation. Um, possibly talk about doing, talk to legislation in your state, legislation mm-hmm. in your state, and start to get everything um, started and get the ball rolling on that. And also just uh, be mindful of your health females and mm-hmm. see what contraception is right for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our segment that we like to call Steminist Corner, where we take a look at, not necessarily famous, because as we know, some most of the time, female scientists do not get the credit they deserve, but important scientists, female scientists in history. So, Gretchen, who are we discussing today? Today, we are discussing um, the fossil collector and paleontologist, Mary Anning. Uh, Mary was born in 1799, so we're going a little far back right now. Uh, and uh, she was never very famous. She actually uh, pretty much lived in poverty her entire life, but she was really influential in uh, discoveries of Jurassic marine fossils in, um, in England. And basically, uh, for like a cute little story for how she got started in this uh, paleontology business, um, her brother in 1811, 1811 uh, spotted what he thought was a crocodile skeleton uh, in a seaside cliff uh, near the family's home. And he charged his 11-year-old sister with uh, the cre- recovery of this fossil. Um, and she eventually dug uh, a skull and 60 vertebrae out of uh, this cliff and sold them to a private collector for 23 pounds. It wasn't a crocodile, though, and it was named uh, something called Ichthyrosaurus, also known as the fish lizard. The fish lizard? Yes. <laughs> Um, and so that's what basically um, began her long career um, as someone who hunts fossils. And uh, so basically lots of marine dinosaurs from about 20 million to 140 million years ago were what she uh, found mostly. She didn't really have a formal education, so she basically taught herself all about anatomy, geology, paleontology, and scientific illustration for these uh, discoveries. And Basically, scientists from around the world traveled to consult with her because she was so knowledgeable about these fossils. 
even though they consulted her, uh, she did not fully participate in the scientific community of 19th century Britain uh, because it wasn't really open to her. It was mostly Anglican gentlemen. Basically, she was not eligible to join the Geological Society of London, um, and she did not receive full credit for her scientific contributions. Being a working class woman, she was an outsider, basically. Uh, the Geological Society did not allow women to become members or even attend meetings as guests. So she was consulted all the time uh, about her findings, but she wasn't allowed to participate mm -hmm. in that society. We'll come to you for help, but you still can't join us. Yes. <laughs> you know the most about this, um, and you find all of our things, but uh, you can't come to our, oh, our club. Because you're a lady, I guess, you know. <laughs> no girls allowed in this club. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. The most part is that she, a lot of this she taught herself, mm -hmm. which I think brings to mind just kind of the power of curiosity, like, oh, I found this fossil, I wonder, like, what this all means, and just having, you know, because of that going out and just learning, you know, all, like, anatomy, geology, stuff like that, because mm -hmm. obviously she wasn't able to learn that mm -hmm. in an academic setting because she yeah. was a female, but just having the inclination to go out and just mm -hmm. learn all of that on her own, yeah. which I think is really cool. Yeah, just learning it basically in the field and discovering things um, that no one else knew. Um, because like, and, and so she, she found all these fossils and she would um, sell them to fossilists who would write scientific descriptions um, and publish them and never mention her name or where they got it. And she actually did uh, become resentful of this. She was really mad about it. And she had uh, a friend who um, accompanied her when she collected, who says, uh, she says the world has used her ill. These men of learning have sucked her brains and made a great deal of publishing works of which she furnished the contents while she derived none of the advantages. Snaps yes. from Mary. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yes. <laughs> and so I thought she was a very cool lady. Um, basically, when she's 11, pulling this crocodile fish lizard out of a cliff side is <laughs> like crazy yeah. to me it's like I don't, I don't know if like fate is saying like it's going <laughs> too far but it just seems like just the fact that she was in the right place at the right time mm -hmm. and her discovery like mm -hmm. her discovery at that point just became her life's work mm -hmm. yeah um and her job was pretty dangerous um she searched for fossils in fossils in the area of blue lias cliffs um which during winter the winter months land there were lots of landslides and so uh that exposed new fossils that had to be quick collected quickly before they were lost to the sea and she nearly died in 1833 investigating one of these landslides because I, I assume uh because because of a landslide another landslide <laughs> came uh and which actually kills her dog which is very sad Aww. um her little dog Trey. there's a little picture a little portrait of her with her little tiny dog it looks like she's out fossil hunting. Uh, it's a good photo if you can look it up. And um, yeah, so basically there would be landslides and she would go out and um, hunt uh, for fossils on the cliffs after these landslides, which I think is pretty badass and very cool. That's pretty That's pretty intense. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Like, I'm going to like risk my life. There are going to be landslides just so I can get this <laughs> thing fossilized from like billions and billions and billions yeah. of years ago. That, that's dedication right there, especially since like... Obviously, it was out of her own vendetta because she wasn't getting, like, any of the credit. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just like, I'm going to find this because, like, I'm going to be famous mm -hmm. and people are going to know a lot about it. Because, mm -hmm. obviously, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think she made uh, most of her living from selling these fossils, I think. Mm. Um, but they obviously didn't give her a ton of money mm. um, because she was still in poverty. So it was kind of like she had to do this to make money and they didn't give her, like, basically her due mm. for that money, uh, for what she um, gave them, uh, for, like, the scientific discoveries that she made for them. Welcome to our section called Weird Science. Michaela, have you ever heard of quantum computers? I've heard of regular computers, but I'm interested to know what quantum computers are. I'm sure they're quite interesting. <laughs> yes, they use the weird, weird science of um, quantum mechanics and oh. all that sort of fun stuff. Basically, to explain it in simple terms, it's regular computers have bits that are ones or zeros. And that's how it stores information in just ones and zeros and things that are one state of nothing, which is zero, and one state of like on. It's like an on and off switch. Okay. And so quantum computers store information really differently. And it's really weird how they do it. Um, and it uses the behavior of atoms. Yeah, so it's a lot more complicated of a process. The bits, they're called qubits instead of bits. And a single um, qubit uh, represents a one, a zero, or any quantum superposition of those two qubit states, which basically means it can be one and zero at the same time. Mm. And so it, it's it's like, yeah, so it doesn't have to be just one or just zero. It can be both of those at the same time. And that's what superposition means. So it's two different things simultaneously. And so they have this, they use pairs of qubits, where they use multiple sort of um, pairs or four or five or any kind of number of qubits, and they all work together. They're not individual. So a, so a pair of qubits can be in a quantum superposition of four states. So with two different qubits, you can have four different things, mm -hmm. which is completely different than a regular computer, where if you have two different things, you can only have two different things. Mm. And so you can see it will be, if you have three qubits, you can have a superposition, superposition of eight states. And so you see, the, as you get more qubits, you get exponentially more states, which is completely different than a regular computer because they can only have as much information as like each bit that it's possible to have. And so uh, this complicated like mess of qubits that like interact, all affect each other, um, make it uh, a really strange system that they have to maintain. It's not like a normal computer where it can just be at a normal temperature, like in your room, and it doesn't need like constant maintenance uh, to work and function. With quantum computers, they have to be kept cooled to a fraction of a degree away from absolute zero. So colder than space that's, for these things to work. That's pretty darn cold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, because there's these lot of weird components that go into it, basically they're so fragile that any outside influence will mess them up. So there's like specific states that have to be in and they have to be super careful to make sure it stays in that state for it to work. And so we're kind of far off from like, probably never will, I wouldn't say never, but we're completely like so far away from people ever like owning quantum computers themselves. Yeah, of course. I would think that'd be a lot of upkeep to like. Yes, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> these things have like whole teams and like huge companies like watching them. But there are actually quite a few quantum computers that exist. And a new quantum computer by IBM was recently announced um, that is 50 qubits. 
which I'm not sure exactly how much that translates into states, but that is very close to something which is called quantum supremacy, uh, which is this concept that was used is that is used to describe the point at which a quantum computer can do some can do things more powerfully than any regular computer, classical computer can. Mm-hmm. But right now, we're not at that point because the biggest supercomputers can beat out the current quantum computers. But as we get it to 50 qubits, we're starting to get into the area where that is really possible. So that that 50 qubit quantum computer really could um, be more powerful than the most powerful uh, supercomputers we have right now. So as they add on more qubits, it gets more powerful. And we keep like making uh, quantum computers with more and more qubits like every year practically. And so we're very close to that reality. Um, which is a little strange to think about because like basically all of the uh, cryptography that keeps the internet together Mm -hmm. and things like that and secure uh, rely on algorithms that with quantum computing could be broken very easily. Hmm. That's a a bit, that that takes you back a minute to kind of think about that in Mm -hmm. in relation to like something like, you know, the internet and stuff that we, Mm -hmm. something that we use every day. Mm Yeah, because most algorithms for cryptography are based on uh, like mathematical problems that are difficult to do mm-hmm. with regular computers because they deal with exponentiation, which is like um, numbers that get big really fast mm-hmm. and which are really hard for classical computers. But quantum computers deal with lots and lots of states, and so they can look at huge numbers and they can look at all of the possibilities within that huge number of like options, and it can just like find the right one it just like like it, it like you it can like look them all at the same time and it can like wipe away all the wrong ones and come up with the right ones it's like a really different way of looking at data than uh class computers and so it would basically we'd have to come up with completely different cryptographic algorithms which we don't have that'll, that'll be the next thing after that <laughs> yes so, um, that's that's so cool to just have it be like let me just wipe away all the wrong ones and boop mm-hmm, yeah. there you go right <laughs> there there it is yeah it's a lot less like mechanical and more like biological almost like with like quantum physics it's in like it, it deals more with like the way atoms interact than like hard mechanical things so I'm assuming with all the effort that goes into these computers, they they, qu- they cost quite a pretty penny? Oh, yes. They cost a lot to make. There are a few people, like, making different sorts of quantum computers. Um, some that are, like, kind of half quantum computer, half regular computer that are, like, not real quantum computers, but they're actually selling them. But most of them, they're not being sold. Like, IBM has one in... They have a couple, and... They actually have uh, the quantum computer available online where you can learn to program on it, uh, sort of like in, and access it, um, mm-hmm. sort of for like small things. And so that's the way they're like um, trying to make it accessible to people who have, who can't like, who will, I mean, it's, it'll never be that everyone has a quantum computer, but it'll be that companies have quantum computers and that people access them mm-hmm. through their computer. Yeah, because I would think obviously it would be a lot of upkeep and maintenance that I Mm -hmm. think like I don't Mm -hmm. have time to just like Mm -hmm. yo let me just check on my quantum computer or like let me just keep (laughs) it in a room that's like Mm -hmm. almost below freezing type thing yeah yeah Uh, because yeah you have to be careful about like because all the the little qubits will like get out of whack Mm -hmm. and so they have to keep them like 
in the right state um, to be working. And so it's like this, yeah, it's a complicated process that um, not the nor- normal person would not, could not do and would not want to do. Yeah, best, best left to the professionals on yes. that one. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, here today, I have the fabulous Miss Brooke Harrison. Brooke, could you tell us uh, what year you are here at Converse and what your major is? I'm a senior, and I'm a biology and psychology double major. Oh, how did you uh, how did you choose that pair as like your two um, two majors? I guess that's an interesting pair. <laughs> yeah. Well, I came in just with biology and started taking the psychology. I was like, this is actually. Um, for one, very interesting and a great pairing for kind of medical work that I want to do. Oh, that's great. And I also relate because I'm, I'm a chemistry and psychology major, so I get I get what you're putting down. Yeah. All right, so what are your plans, given that you are a biology and psychology major, after graduation? Um, my plans involve, so I'll go to graduate school for occupational therapy. Uh, first, before I go into that, I'm actually going to take a gap year to take a break from just the kind of like the stress of it all college like you know because it's a very stressful and very busy time and sometimes you need a bit of a break to kind of you know reevaluate things and just just to relax just just a tad bit because I know it is a stressful time a stressful four years yeah take a weekend take a weekend take a take a year yeah exactly (laughs) exactly same principle so what made you interested in the field of stems Well, um, before I kind of got into occupational therapy, I always wanted to be a marine biologist, and that one was just, I was also really, always really loved the ocean, um, and wanted to, like, research that, but then kind of a shift changed, I was like, you know what, people, I want to help people, (laughs) Um, and that's kind of where occupational therapy came from. It took a while to find the exact field I wanted, but it's it's been very rewarding to know. That's interesting. I feel like all little girls either want to be like a veterinarian or like a marine biologist. There's always like animals involved. I feel like yeah. every like one goes through that stage where it's like, I want to help the animals and stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so when you kind of came to that conclusion that STEMs was like your field of interest, like your career field interest, how supportive were your teachers and your parents and your peers of that decision or that realization, I should say? Yeah, well, I'd always... Um... Like before, marine biologist was like a veterinarian, so it was always a STEM-related field, and I feel like veterinarian got a good bit of um, approval. Marine biologist, not as much. They're like, oh, it's just research. You won't get as much money, Um, and that really was a very common thing to say. I know my dad wasn't like the biggest fan. It's like you're gonna you're gonna struggle to get a job. Like it'll be fine. But I happened to change um, what I wanted to do to something that was a bit more had a bit more social value to some people mm-hmm. and have gotten a lot of positive feedback for that as well. Yeah, because I'm sure that's particularly concerned with like any field that you're going into. You're like, mom and dad, I want to go do this. And they're like, but are you going to make money doing that? So there's always, I believe, that conflict with like any particular field. Mm-hmm. Now, was the fact that you were interested in STEMs and the fact that you are a female, was that taken into account in any of like their like hesitations or like their warnings or anything related to that? I was very lucky that it was not. Uh, Being a female was not a problem for me uh, or for many of my friends it didn't come up but I understand um, that is uh, that was very I'm grateful that that wasn't a problem because it easily could have been and I think also choosing a women's college also takes some of that um, possible pressure Mm -hmm. off. 
Are you still, what do you say, now sticking on the fact that females in science, because we're all four females in science, mm -hmm. uh, was there a difference either in like probably your uh, like primary, second, like primary school, you know, like elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, was there kind of a difference between how you and your male counterparts that were also interested in STEM were treated in any way? Uh, I feel like the biggest thing was there was just always more push for them regardless of what they did. Um, STEM was a bit more, like it was math and that's the same with like, oh, we like guys are, males are good at math, like females have trouble, like why don't you encourage us, we won't have as much trouble, but mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it was just males having more, um, getting more pushback from their, from all their peers, like yeah, you can do it and women kind of maybe being questioned is mm -hmm. the biggest part. Yeah, because I guess when you're female and you're like, I want to go into the science field, they're like, oh, that's going to be a lot of work. Like, you're going to have to push yourself and, like, try harder than, like, your male counterparts, which to an extent, like, as far as, like, curriculum-wise isn't always the case because there are people that, I mean, obviously it differs from person to person. Like, who's good at math? Who's good at this? Like, there are females that are like, I'm really good at math. And then males that I know, they're like, I'm really bad at math. So just, like, on that basic principle, it is kind of an unfair, like, assumption that, Obviously, since you're a female, you're going to have to work hard in order to understand all these concepts and, like... Yeah, either to, like, I'm going to have to work harder or, like, oh, you're so, like, special and unique for choosing. I'm like, no, I think it, anyone could. Like, that was just my choice. Like, mm -hmm. Just give me excitement for, like, kind of having a choice and kind of more of an idea of what I want to do rather than, yeah. like, oh, how special. I feel like often, like... I don't know, to an extent we're given the side eye where they're like, oh, like, we're doing, like, science. And they're like, oh good for you like that I don't know it's just like yeah. like it's that pat on the shoulder <laughs> good job you're you're so brave sweetie for doing that good good luck with that see mm -hmm. how that goes um goodness but I'm sure a lot of women can relate to that being in that particular predicament when they say I want to be in sims and have people go like well it's just it's just gonna be tough you know you're just gonna have to try harder mm -hmm. which brings me to my next questions what obstacles in addition to kind of like that whole like you're gonna like when people say like you're gonna have to work harder in relation to that like what are the actual obstacles that women in STEM that you think like in STEM careers or women that have a STEM interest like also face like just in general yeah okay once again saying my benefit of going to an all-women's college I'm not actively fighting against like a male peer to get certain positions like within the college but I definitely say like myself having research opportunities like off campus there's a lot of males that do it and there is also a surprising amount of females for the amount of kind of slack that we sometimes get for being females in STEM it has been like a push that you do I feel like I saw more than I expected to see which I think as a younger child that would have been really great to have known like there are they're like like it's growing there's more but also you are surrounded by so many um, male figures and I think that's really hard not to have like your female role models and only seeing males because it's not it's not the same you don't get the same like value from it because mm -hmm. obviously representation and that goes with anything because I know me growing up what kind of made me interested in my field is that I watched a show called Bones and there was a doctor, Dr. Temperance Brennan, who was a female and she was like the top person in your field. And I thought to myself, wow, like there's a woman in science who is achieving and is considered like one of the smartest people in her field. Mm -hmm. You know, not just like a lab assistant or like somebody like helping like 
the male scientists like you know discover stuff so i feel like representation is a big thing for anybody because if you see somebody like you doing x y and z you're more you're more confident in your ability to do x y and z because you're like well if they can do it and they're female then i can do it yeah exactly Um, so do you think with the obstacles like as far as like just more representation of like women in science or maybe like teaching young girls about women in science because sometimes in curriculum they're often skimmed over quite a bit yeah yeah I think it definitely some of the like quote-unquote like dirtier aspects of how we've recorded history kind of being a bit more upfront about those because some of it is oh this male got you know recognition for this achievement but you know who helped him make that did he possibly take it from someone else Mary Curry Mm -hmm. you know like all these situations of these females have been a big part of these discoveries for a long time it's just having to pretend or like go under the pseudonym of a male name in order to get like public like acknowledgement of what they did or, or someone to believe that they did it which is ridiculous it's not just it's my research and having to like publicly defend like oh I actually did this so to kind of get some of those out there so that it's not, not only is it growing now, but it's not been a novelty that women have been in science. They mm-hmm. always have been. It's just now we can get the recognition. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that you mentioned because we did on our, our segment, Steminist Quarter, the last episode, we talked about uh, Rosalind Franklin mm-hmm. and her basically big contribution to the discovery of the 3D structure of DNA and how mm-hmm. basically in general she was quite gypped out of a lot of things including um, a Nobel Prize yeah listen to our previous episode to learn more on that so as far as since we're talking about females in science do you have any female STEM role models whether it's like somebody like historical figure a teacher professor mentor what have you um like that's a hard question because like one of the things like do I have one like I have um just having worked with some female researchers like they're definitely role models um, I think like something I've noticed is that they're they tend to be like very um, harsh and having to like take on this very serious personality which is which I think that's the stereotypical view of anyone in science but kind of having to take on this a very stern role kind of to make up for the fact that they're female has been something that I've noticed and like sometimes that's a personality difference but sometimes it's just been oddly apparent um but I still definitely like look up to them and their gumption and like they're now leading their own research and choosing what topics they want to focus on I also noticed that I definitely recognize more or know more male stem names than I do female stem names I definitely would say that hidden figures I can't remember all of their names right now but all the women that was involved within that narrative um very much look up to that because not only from a kind of scientific standpoint but also from like a societal standpoint of making that change and like standing for like what you know that was a big movie because i don't know uh, hollywood has this thing now where it's kind of like they're putting out movies about stories that maybe we aren't like historical stories but stuff that we haven't heard before that we haven't learned about before because i personally going up through school never heard any of the women involved in you know putting glenn uh john glenn into space so when that movie came out i was like wow i was like i had i had no idea that women were basically the backbone of this because Mm -hmm. obviously they're in charge of the calculation so if 
I calculations off, then 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 that's it. Like yeah. you know, then it wouldn't work out. So yeah, I think there is like a disconnect when it comes to like females finding in a sense like female STEM role models because growing up there hasn't there haven't been that many like we haven't been having we didn't have knowledge or given the knowledge about these women which Mm -hmm. I think would affect young girls who are interested in STEM in a big way if they did know about these women and have have more representation of women in STEM Mm -hmm. because then they would probably be more inclined to like be involved because I'm sure it is quite a big task to think about like well I'm going into a field that from my understanding of what I've been told is predominantly male yeah and it's always been an interesting contrast because women are seen um in a lot of kind of we think kind of like even Greek mythology they're seen as like these wise things like Athena she's a female she's mm-hmm. all like knowledge she's the goddess of knowledge and yet you know women aren't asked or expected to excel in these areas kind of kept from it it's been kind of an interesting dichotomy there of like yeah women are seen as like having wisdom but just not but not here but not here yeah just leave it to the men yeah so I think the main thing as far as like that goes just just teach younger girls about these women in science I know the other day I was walking through some store and they had like a whole book of like a hundred women in science or something like that's great that's like something I would like buy for my niece and be like hey is this what you want to do like look at all these women Mm -hmm. who have done that so I think that's just just a very important thing representation matters because it affects how people it can affect how people conduct themselves and what they do with their lives so it's very important not seeing yourself in something makes it feel like that you are creating that entire path for yourself and if you can already see somebody else in that field that is representative to you not only in that I'm a female, but ethnicity as well, then that just can, can can do so much for your own belief and your abilities and kind of like, I'm not just, I'm not the first person setting this out because that is incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. And props to the women that were the first people to, <laughs> exactly. to pave that path for anybody. Well, thank you for coming by, Brooke. It's been a very, it's been a very good time having such conversations about you about women in science because I feel like we need to have more of these conversations just in general. Yeah, of course. Like women talking to other women in science about science. About science and supporting other women. That was me and me and Jessica Morgan were talking about last week is that mm-hmm. we need women to support other women when it comes to fields such as like STEM and such yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thank you very much and good luck in all of your future endeavors. You as well. Thanks for listening to Coco Radio. If you like what you hear, follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat for daily updates.